But the good news is that the Iranian people do not hate Israel and do not hate the United States. In fact, they hate the Islamic Republic so much that everything that the regime has told them to do, they do the exact opposite. You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. We are pleased to have with us today Erica Kasrai, who recently blew up social media with her video praising President Trump's decision to kill Qasem Salama. Erica, before we discuss the video, I would like to hear from you about who you are and how you and your family escaped Iran after the Islamic Revolution. Well, thank you so much for having me on your program. Um, my family fled Iran shortly after the Islamic Revolution because of political and religious persecution. My father's family is Baha'i, and the Baha'i faith was one of the religious minorities in Iran that were persecuted first among the religious minorities. And my father's family, um, because of their access to the West, my, my grandfather, my father's uh, father was a congressman during the, you know, during the Shah's era and in the National Iranian Congress. And they had gotten word that, the, that there was going to be, a, you know, a, an uprising. So they escaped first. And then they basically, um, my father came to the United States and started the process of our, you know, uh, paperwork. We ended up going to Italy and living in Italy for about a year. And then we were able to subsequently come to the United States on refugee status. I have looked at some of your other interviews, and one of the things that you said that after the Islamic revolution took hold in Iran, that as a seven-year-old in school, you would taught such lovely things as chanting death to America. Can you talk about the experience of living in Islamic Iran? Sure. I mean, you know, as a child, I think it's really hard to understand what's going on with the grown-ups. And all I knew that all I knew was there was a shift. There was one day where I went to school and in the morning we would exercise and go to class. And then the next day it was almost like everything changed. We had to cover. I remember having a, a blue, uh, a baby blue, aqua blue um, head covering that I had to wear to school, which was sort of interesting and cool because it was different. It was a novelty. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that all the girls had to wear it. My teachers had to wear it. My mom had to wear it, right? So, and then I also remember having to chant in the schoolyard. You know, we say the Pledge of Allegiance in America when we first go to, you know, first beginning of the day, and our Pledge of Allegiance was saying death to America and death to Israel. You know, that that transformation of, you know, uh, in, uh, in, in, um, instituting Islamic law took 
several years after the uh, Islamic Republic, um, you know, sort of institutionalized their ideology. In fact, um, today is the anniversary of the Islamic Revolution. Um, so the regime is trying very hard to uh, advertise the, the revolution in Iran and people are just making fun of them, which is hilarious to me. Um, but, you know, for as a child, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't understand what kind of ideology they were propagating. It, and it, of course, you know, as I've become a, more involved in the politics and the geopolitical atmosphere of, of Iran, now I understand. They started very young, you know, to teach human beings how to hate. In fact, they paint the American flag and the Israeli flag on, in the, you know, on the ground of, of universities, of schools, of government buildings, so that you have to walk over these flags and disrespect these two countries. So it's kind of their psychological, you know, brainwashing that they do to the people. But the good news is that the Iranian people do not hate Israel and do not hate the United States. In fact, they hate the Islamic Republic so much that everything that the regime has told them to do, they do the exact opposite. So the, <laughs> there's always a, there's always a, you know, silver lining to the story. You know, um, there was a video that came out um, about the same time as the video that I mentioned earlier, in which we saw pictures of Iranians deliberately walking around rather than on Israeli and American flags that were painted on the streets. That's very true. And in fact, that happens all the time. But because all of a sudden, President Trump's, you know, actions brought the eyes of the world on Iran, the Iranian people wanted to show the world that this is not who they are. They, they are not the regime. And, you know, during the three days of protest after the downing of the Ukrainian airliner, the Iranian people chanted in the streets. You know, Soleimani is a criminal and so is his leader. You know, IRGC, uh, you know, commit crimes and their, and their leader supports them. Um, Forty years of crime, death to this regime. I mean, it was pretty obvious that the people of Iran were sending their message to the world. In fact, President Trump tweeted out in Farsi, in those three, four days, basically putting the regime, like, you know, <laughs> in check, you know, to, don't kill your people. We're watching you. So that was very empowering for the Iranian people to finally see a president. I mean, he's really the only president, and I really believe that he will go down, you know, as a, as a hero and a legend in Iran for the actions that he's taken. You know, um, I have worked with Iranian dissidents over the years, and uh, one of the things, one of the questions that I asked was, how can we in the West 
help you? And one of the responses was that if you bestow some sort of award or if you recognize Iranian dissidents, the Iranian regime will, in fact, take their hands off of those of that dissident or those dissidents, that they don't like the world watching them. And you reminded me of that when you mentioned about President Trump's tweet. Um, the, the psychology is that we'll do this, but we really don't want the whole world. We'll do some nasty things to our people, but we don't want the whole world watching. Well, right, because you have to understand that in Iran, there's no free media, right? You don't have freedom of press in Iran. Everything is state-controlled. Television, movies, news, newspapers, everything is controlled. So the fact that the Internet and social media has opened up a window of, of communication between our two nations, that's very powerful that President Trump has been able to communicate directly with the Iranian people, bypassing their propaganda machine and, frankly, bypassing the propaganda machine that is our mainstream media in the United States. And it's really been a powerful tool for the Iranian people to be able to have an exchange and to be able to see that, you know, the Islamic Republic has lied to them for 41 years, that, that America isn't the great Satan, that they tried to convince them that they are. The American people are beautiful. You know, we, we live on principles that are, uh, you know, that respect human dignity and, and human liberties. And I'm, I'm hopeful that the Iranian people will, will reclaim, you know, the country that was taken from them, really taken hostage by the, by the Islamic Republic. You know, a lot of American friends reach out to me and say, what can we do? What can we do to support the Iranian people? And obviously, since this video went viral, I've had so many wonderful, beautiful people reach out to me and say, what can we do? And I think continuing to uh, keep Iran on the international stage is very important. You know, I plead with the mainstream media to be objective when they report and to continue to bring visibility to the freedom fighters in Iran, in Iraq, in, you know, Lebanon. You know, there have been massive protests in Iraq against the Islamist uh, regime that is trying to, you know, corrupt the Iraqi parliament with, with, the, with the Shia uh, mentality, the Shia Islamism that they're trying to, you know, propagate across the world. So um, I would say that we, we must continue to discuss and we must continue to be, you know, engaging this, this policy because it's very important that Iran does not obtain a nuclear power. Because if it does, um, not only are they a danger to the region, but to the whole world. Uh, the Secure America Now, who is sponsoring this particular podcast, um, one of the longest projects that we've had and we continue to participate in is to bring out the truth about what is going on inside the Islamic Republic of Iran. And we 
actually recruited the greatest number of members, and we're over three and a half million people, mostly Americans who are part of Secure America now. We recruited most of those people with our opposition to the Iran nuclear deal. What are your thoughts on the Iran nuclear deal, and did you support President Trump tearing up that deal? Absolutely. Um, I was part of, you know, a organization called the Confederation of Iranian Students during the time that President Obama was elected president. And I must admit, I voted for Obama the first time around because, one, I was very naive, and two, because I, I thought that he was going to be a president of change. But as soon as I started to hear the rhetoric of engaging the Islamic Republic, I understood that this was going to be a very different president. He started empowering the Islamic Republic by engaging them. And during the contested presidential election of Ahmadinejad in 2009, when the protesters came to the street and said, Obama, Obama, are you with them or with us? I knew that, I knew that, the, that things were going to be very different. And what Obama did was empower the regime. You know, he was so desperate to engage them that it cost us millions of lives in Syria. And, you know, the complexity of the, you know, of the, of the issue is, is, I think, far beyond anything that most Americans can understand. But giving, giving the regime money and engaging them and giving them the power uh, that they ha that they had today they're weak. I mean the 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 JCPOA um, only empowered this terror regime, but today the the regime is weak. Their economy is plummeting, and they're running out of money. So they've become weak internally, and that has empowered the people. You know, uh, one of the things that um, I always get is, oh, the you know the the, the United States has sanctioned uh, medicine and food and, you know, the people are dying. And that's not true. The, the truth is that uh, the only the only exceptions to the sanctions was food and medicine. But the regime is keeping the medicine and basically lying to the people, trying to convince them that America is cutting off food and medicine. Iran's economy is based on selling crude oil to the world market. 90% of Iran's economy comes from selling crude oil to the world market. And what they do with that money is fund their stupid, dangerous nuclear program, which, the, which Iran doesn't need because we have enough natural resources in Iran for, for power. And it pays the IRGC and the Revolutionary Guard three times the average salary of a government worker. It's been funding you know, Hamas and Hezbollah and the Arab Hashtashabi in Iraq, and, you know, buying votes of the United Nations. You know, they are the uh, state, you know, 40 years of, of state sponsors of terror. And we have to cut them off. We have to hold them accountable. Do you uh, think, or do you have a uh, advice for President Trump is for him to continue on this path of 
bringing down the Islamic regime if they don't start behaving themselves towards their own people. Is there anything else that the Trump administration should be doing? I think that the maximum pressure campaign has been very, very successful. Um, we need policy based on principle. We cannot cater to a regime that is the leading state terror. We can't. We can't allow an unstable regime to obtain and use nuclear weapons. So I think President Trump is on the right track. I would, I would advise President Trump to uh, start engaging the various, you know, opposition groups. You know, during the Obama administration, Obama canceled the, the asset in the CIA that he had on the ground. He, he, because he didn't want to, um, you know, uh, somehow lose his JCPOA nuclear deal that he was making with the regime. I would say, you know, I would say bring back the policy of having assets on the ground in Iran. I mean, it's, it might be a very controversial statement I'm making, but, you know, the opposition in Iran is looking to the United States for leadership. What is it that you find Iranian people today in Iran, what do they think of President Trump and his politics? <laughs> you know what they call him? They call him Amu Trump. Amu in Farsi means uncle. It's like the greatest term of endearment you can give somebody when you don't know them. They love him. They think he's like, you know, the only guy who can stand up to the bully because he's not willing to, you know, bow down to this regime. I've got an activist inside Iran who tells me all the time how much she loves Trump, how much she wishes Trump would take out Khamenei and just get it over with. I wish that you could hear some of the things that these kids in Iran are telling me. They're sick and tired of this life that the regime has given them. You know, they came in with this ideology that Islam was going to be glorified with the revolution. But what, what they've gotten is the fruit of that ideology is a generation that is jobless, that is depressed, that is addicted to drugs. You know, our girls are... Um, have, there's a phenomenon in Iran with plastic surgery. I mean, it's it's really bizarre the the social um, breakdown that's happened. People are miserable, and they want change. I mean, they really believe that Trump's the only one who can bring that change. But I I personally believe that um, this is a fight for the Iranian people, and the Iranian people. You know, it, we take we take for granted our Second Amendment rights in this country. We don't realize how important that that uh, Second Amendment is. And I think for most Americans, they don't really understand why we have it. But I wish that the Iranian people could... I wish that the Iranian people were afforded that same uh, amendment. Because I guarantee you, if they, if they had that uh, power, <laughs> Khamenei wouldn't be in power today. That's all pretty controversial. The last two one that you uh, answered without me asking, actually are questions that also had come from our audience. So I'd like to ask you 
a question, another question from our audience. Um, are Christians and other religious minorities safe in Iran? No. In fact, during these last few, you know, protests, the regime tries to make, you know, sort of a, a, a statement by arresting uh, Christians, especially Christians that convert. I mean, Christians, Orthodox Christians are not harassed. They can't evangelize. But if you if you convert to Christianity in, in Iran, you, you, it is considered apostasy. It's a crime, punishable by death. Typically what they do is they intimidate you and your family to leave the country so that you're not proselytizing, so that you're not leading home churches, so that you're not, you know, uh, pushing your their agenda on other people. I mean, they're so afraid of Christianity. Um, and really a lot, I would say that because the, the generation is very young in Iran, a lot of, a lot of young people are becoming atheists or just deists. They don't want to have anything to do with religion. They're, they're very turned off by religion. Is there a, an outlet, um, uh, Besides the Trump administration, is there support coming from the rest of the world for the oppressed Iranians? Or is not only the Trump administration in the lead, but are, is this administration the only administration or the only state that is supporting the downtrodden within Iran? Unfortunately, I would say there are there there's very little support coming from other countries, um, and it and it really it is the Trump administration that is is giving visibility to the pro democracy movement. Um, you know, I, I I don't have I don't have a crystal ball to tell you, but I do believe that the the, the regime's uh, lifespan is coming to a close, and if we continue to choke them, you know, economically. That, you know, they're going to run out of money eventually, and the good people of Iran are going to fight, and it's it's going to cost. It's going to cost. Uh, freedom isn't free. You know, you've you've got to you've got to you know fight for liberty, and I I do believe that the that people the people of Iran have had enough. What I would like to see is a coalition of partners of people around the world coming together to build a, you know, a structure to help the Iranian people navigate this, this, uh, movement. You know, there's, there's a movement, um, within Iran. It's, it's a constitutional revolution, basically, you know, having a referendum and then a free and fair election and really a, a constitutional, a constitution that's based on, you know, that's similar to the U.S. Constitution, freedom of, you know, freedom of religion being its first pillar. And, but the people in Iran don't know how, how to navigate. And that's what I've realized is that we need better information. We need, you know, media to um, teach the people of Iran how to build their democracy. You know, it's, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, we want freedom and dem democracy. But if you don't know what that looks like, you have no idea how to institute a, 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 a democratic nation. 
you become a power vacuum for those that are in the region who want to just take control and, you know, continue to uh, terrorize the sustained power, like we saw in, you know, in Syria and, and what we're seeing in Iraq. But um, I would really love to be able to see coalition, a coalition of partners who come who come alongside and, you know, using the media, using the power of the media to teach the Iranian people how to build their nation again. I think that would be a good step. I began um, my introduction of you, Erica, by mentioning um, a video which we've referred to a couple of times. I'd like to talk just a little bit about that video. When I saw the the very the video that went viral, um, it was a breath of fresh air in that it came in the aftermath of the Soleimani, um, the death of Soleimani. And it took us inside Iran where the mainstream media in the United States, which mostly hates Donald Trump and anything that he does, the mainstream media were propagating the idea that the Iranian world is going to rise up. The people of Iran are going to rise up, unite behind the Islamic Republic, and because we killed this terrorist. But then you came on, you came into our screen, uh, and onto our screen, and you said, that's not the case. There is no uh, groundswell protesting the death of Soleimani. Most Iranians hated this guy. He did not represent them. And that was a real burst of fresh air. What encouraged you to produce this video and to educate us in the West as to what the true feelings of the Iranian people were at that time? Well, um, I noticed that the mainstream media was painting a very different picture than what was coming out of Iran. And being an activist and having access to Farsi language, social media platforms inside the country, I started observing a very different narrative. People inside Iran were like ecstatic. I mean, they were like jumping for joy and so happy. And then I was watching mainstream media thinking, what in the world is going on here? And I think the, the, like, the final like straw was comparing him to Elvis. I think that was the final straw. Because first of all, I love Elvis. I think he is like the epitome of American culture for me. I got so angry. I was like, no, this is not okay. And I had so many friends, you know, texting me, messaging me on Facebook, hey, what do you think about this guy? They've never heard of him. I mean, Hassan Soleimani, his name only runs in the, you know, in the political circles. But for friends, it's regular friends. Uh, they were like, hey, what does this mean for your world? Is this a good thing? Are we going to war? Like, there's all these questions. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to make a little video for my friends and, and answer everybody's questions and kind of set the record straight. Um. And so that's what I did, really. I mean, for me, it was just me speaking from my heart and 
kind of helping everybody calm down because everybody, I mean, this whole World War Three hashtag was starting to circulate. And what I realized, and I think the reason the video went viral is because I, I had my finger on a pulse that I think for the most part, the mainstream media has ignored. I mean, they, they don't understand how much fear they inject into the American public when they make statements that are not true. They're just distorting the facts. And so I had this kid, I mean, I, won't, I can't forget him. He, he, he reached out to me on, on Instagram and said, hi, I'm American, I'm 14. I just want to say thank you. You made me feel so much better because I thought Iran was going to bomb us and we were going to World War III. Now, I'm sure that 14-year-old kid never picks up a paper. I'm sure that he probably doesn't, can't even find Iran on the map. But somebody in the airwaves injected fear into him. And what a great privilege it is to be able to counter that with a little bit of peace and calm. And, you know, for the journalists that go into Iran and try to, you know, uh, repeat the talking points of the regime, I, I would say, you know, they're, they're held responsible for, for um, complying. Because when, when a journalist, when a foreign journalist goes into Iran to report, the regime has handlers for them. They tell them what they're allowed to say, what they're not allowed to say, who they're allowed to interview with. And for the most part, what you saw at the funeral of Qasem Soleimani was people who were forced to go there. You know, there are four and a half million government workers. The government was shut down. Schools were shut down. Buses were brought in. People were loaded up and brought into his funeral. Just like, you know, as a kid, I was forced to say death to America. That day, people were forced to say death to America. Do I believe that there's some people who still believe in Belayat Fari and the glory of Islamic revolution? Sure, but they're very far and few between. So that was what prompted me. I felt like it was time for somebody to speak the truth into the chaos that the mainstream media was trying to convince the American people of. And, you know, it's really inspired me to uh, launch a campaign that I would love to be able to tell you guys about and to your listeners. Um, you know, for 40, 41 years, the Islamic Republic has tried to convince the Iranian people that America is the great Satan. And frankly, our own media and Hollywood has only painted the people of the Arab world and of the Muslim world as terrorists. And I think it's time for us, the people, we the people can change that narrative. We can bypass the propaganda of the regime. We can bypass the propaganda of mainstream media by launching a you know, people-to-people diplomacy campaign using the power of the internet and social media. So the call to action is, is for my, all my beautiful American friends you know, across the country to send in their pictures with the hashtag Iran USA, the number four, and love. And, you know, holding a sign with that hashtag in your hand or putting it on your hand towards, you know, the selfie of your camera and showing the people of Iran the beauty of America, the beauty of 
what makes us American, whether you want to hide your face or you want to show your face, you want to show a part of America that you love and that you, you know, or, or a, a value or a principle of America that you want to uh, address to the Iranian people to teach them why, why we love America, why America is a great place to live, why this country has been able to practice democracy for, you know, 200 and some odd years successfully. And I've, the call to action to my Iranian compadres inside Iran is to, to do the same to send their love to the American people, to show the American people that, that they are not what the regime has wanted the, uh, you know, the American people to believe. You know, using that same hashtag, sending you know, the American people pictures, not of themselves, obviously we want to conceal their identities, um, but with that hashtag and showing parts of Iran that, that are beautiful, of, you know, of the culture, of the history that they are proud of. Uh, that's not, you know, the Islamic Republic. And beginning a, a dialogue between these two nations that propaganda machines have prevented for 41 years. So, well, I, I will, we will assist you, Secure America Now will assist in this, in spreading the word about this campaign. Thank you. Um, I'm so grateful. Well, we're grateful for you in on several levels. One, by telling the truth and cutting through so much propaganda, for taking the time to share with us as well as with other media outlets that have had you on as guests. We will uh, spread this particular podcast so that people can get even more informed about what is going on and learn about this uh, campaign to connect the people of Iran, not the regime, but the people That's of right. Iran <laughs> with the people of the United States of America. We have had in my own lifetime a, a very fruitful conversation with the people of Iran until the Islamic Republic came about. And uh, I hate using the word republic. It's the official title. Uh, I know. Me too. <laughs> shape or form a republic. Um, and we will continue um, to shine a light. Um, this interview, we felt this interview was important for all the things that you have done but also not to let the issue uh, die, die from lack of publicity. And um, so we uh, are grateful that you came and spent time with us and shared with us your invaluable insight. And we invite you back uh, to uh, do another podcast sometime in the near future if it's so can assist you in your efforts. Thank you so much. And if your listeners want to learn more about what I'm doing, um, I would be grateful if they would visit, you know, uh, Victor Marks, uh, the Victor Marks Group uh, website and learn about all the, the different humanitarian efforts that, you know, we're, we're working on and programs and missions that we have across the Middle East. I mean, obviously, 
without the financial support of amazing, wonderful people, we couldn't continue to do the work that we're doing. So we, we covet your prayers and we covet, uh, you know, financial contributions to be able to continue to do the work that we're doing. It's, you know, it takes, uh, it takes a lot of, a lot of effort um, to be able to continue this work. So, you know, your prayers and your financial contributions uh, are, are coveted. Okay. Well, um, we will publicize as we market the, uh, the podcast of uh, the ways that people can learn more about you and support your efforts. And Thank you so much. Again, it was wonderful to, to speak with you. Well, same here, Erica. Uh, take care and God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.